Yarra Libraries acknowledges the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people as the traditional owners and true sovereigns of the land now known as Yarra. We also acknowledge the significant contributions made by other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to life in Yarra. We pay our respects to Elders from all nations listening today, and to their Elders past, present and future. Welcome back to the Our Libraries podcast. We're easing back into the Short Story Club this year with an episode we recorded back in August of 2020. Cast your mind back to our second lockdown, if you can bear it, when we read Elizabeth Harrower's The City at Night. Today, Harrower is recognised as one of Australia's great authors, but during her life she spent time unappreciated and out of print. This short story is a shining example of why her work is appreciated today. Join my colleague Tegan and I, for a discussion about the nuanced agonies and joys of making friends, and a few of our own recommendations for future reading. A reminder, Short Story Club episodes are best enjoyed after you've read the story in question, so see our show notes for a link to The City at Night. Tegan, how have you been doing? Yeah, I've been doing pretty good. Yeah, I really enjoyed discussing this story. Yeah, we had a really good engaged group to chat about it, so I'm really I'm excited to talk about it. It's going to be really fun. Yay! We had a really uh, keen group as well. So uh, just a reminder, everyone, these episodes are best enjoyed after you've read the story. So if you haven't just yet, then um, click pause, follow the link in our show notes and read that before you come back. We promise it's a quick one. Um, And for those of you who did read it but a little while ago, uh, a reminder that The City at Night is a brief portrait of two girls tentatively uh, making friends for the first time. It's set at least 50 years ago, so the situation, two girls under 18 in their first full-time job, uh, might be less common in Australia today than it was then. But their overtures of friendship resonated with a range of short story club attendees this week. In fact, I think it's probably one of the most popular stories we've covered so far. Um, uh, Tegan, how did you and your group find this one? Yeah, no, everyone uh, who attended my session, uh, they really enjoyed the story. They all thought that it was uh, quite a, a tender and lovely kind of interaction between uh, these two two women. It was interesting though because we had a few, uh, a couple of attendees who brought some really interesting, I guess, context or thoughts to the piece that I hadn't considered at all just due to our like generational, I guess, differences. Um, and that was really great uh, for me to like listen to and to get some perspective on, I suppose, because I, yeah, the stuff that resonated with me was definitely I think the um, kind of interaction between these two girls and the the kind of tentative uh, way they they went about uh, trying to form a friendship with each other, deciding what details to reveal about themselves and what not to in to I guess to avoid scaring the other one off I suppose. Um, so yeah, it it was it was a really interesting discussion. How did your group find it? Yeah, our group really found the same thing. And I was worried for a moment there that because everyone had enjoyed it, we wouldn't have enough to discuss. I think you probably found the same as, as I have, that generally stories where everyone likes it, can the discussion can sometimes be a bit less nuanced. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, I liked it. Yeah, dot, dot, totally. Dot. Yeah. Um, which, to be fair, almost never happens. Uh, usually there there are a lot of different views about the stories that we do. And, and one of the things I really love about the Short Story Club is that people see that as a feature, not a sign that they've read a story that they haven't enjoyed, if that makes sense. People yeah. really enjoy the, the 
discussion and the different opinions that people bring to it and um, sometimes end up with a slightly different view of the story than they did going into it, which is always nice to see. Um, but yeah, something about the, the things that you mentioned too, that sort of tentativeness of kind of, uh, of trying to reach out and befriend someone without letting on how much you want to do so lest it scare them off and sort of the difficulty of, of navigating that situation really did resonate with with people um, of all ages. And I thought that was really interesting that something that here is shown as a a situation that's kind of unique to that first job situation is one that we resonated with us as something if we moved to new schools or started at university or started, um, you know, every time you start jobs as an adult as well. So I found that really interesting that that sort of experience having to make yourself vulnerable in some way by demonstrating enthusiasm. (laughs) Elizabeth obviously really tapped into something universal there. Yeah, for sure. I think that was one of the questions that I asked the group was whether they thought this was something that was unique to that kind of, I guess, yeah, first stepping out into the world, the adolescence kind of, uh, you know, tentativeness and, and anxiety around making friends outside of being forced to make friends because of your proximity to people. And yeah, I think uh, for the most part, everyone seemed to, to think that it was something that went on well into adulthood and was still happening for them in, in the present day, regardless of, you know, how much time had passed. So a point was brought up, though, that I that I really liked and hadn't considered. Um, one of our attendees because we, we talked a little bit about them as adolescents and, and she didn't seem to think that it was a story about adolescence so much uh, or like the, the framework for adolescence was different in this story purely based on like the time and the setting and I guess the kind of options that uh, women had at that time, like the, the options of like, you know, at that age they, they had a choice to be nurses or teachers or go to business school to become secretaries and typists and that kind of thing or was started to think about you know families and that kind of stuff um so she yeah she really didn't see it in the same light as perhaps someone like me who was like very focused on that kind of like choosing friends for yourself and and that kind of stepping out of the the kind of confines of like high school or something like that no I think that makes a lot of sense and I think it's definitely it's easy to um I found the same is that I tend to focus on the age of the girls and um, I believe they were maybe sort of 15 and 16 or 16 and 17. Yeah, so, 16 and 17, so I believe. 16 and 17. Yeah. yeah. So, so quite young um, and sort of um, overlay our experiences of being that age rather mm. than the experiences of being uh, that age in that time. And definitely we had, she didn't think of the girls as adolescents because she thought they seemed really mature for their age. Um, and that really surprised me because while well, the situation they're in is maybe one that we would associate with maturity today, I didn't really get that feeling from them. I got the feeling that the situation they were in was one that perhaps was a bit more had a bit more responsibility than a lot of teenagers might have in Australia today. You know, not universally, obviously, um, but I still felt that they themselves emotionally presented very much as, as as teenagers or as adolescents or as what we think of that today. What did you think? No, I think, yeah, touching on that, that kind of insecurity, that insecurity of, you know, being of that age uh, really kind of came through to me as, as something that perhaps you want, you'd want to hope that it gets a little easier as you get older, <laughs> kind of a little bit more confidence um, in yourself and how you present to other people. Yeah, it felt it felt like um, both girls were bringing a lot of assumptions uh, to the interaction uh, along with them things that they'd kind of decided about the other based perhaps on on experiences they'd had in the past. So uh, something that stood out for me, I guess, was the way 
Leonie kind of was asking Janie these questions, but they were more just like, oh, so you have a lot of friends. Oh, so you you made friends in business school. Just kind of kind of making these assumptions almost to um, in turn, I guess, kind of presents a barrier to her actually getting to know the person. But also it almost felt to me like she was putting them up as, as a shield in a way to like, I guess, let herself down or like get to the point so that she wouldn't get too invested and, and, and have to be made too vulnerable, which I think is something that you have to unpick as you get older, kind of like taking the situation as it is rather than just, you know, jumping like to conclusions or, or, or assumptions to kind of protect yourself. I don't know. What did you think? What do you, what do you think about that? <laughs> no, no, I, th- I think you're right that um, Leonie was sort of putting up those, um, even sort of focusing on her being from Manly. One of the attendees in our group mentioned well, Manly was quite a, a wealthy suburb and right. Leonie might have felt that so there might have been sort of a class consideration there with um, mm-hmm. Leonie feeling slightly intimidated by um, Janie being from Manly as far as she knew because she didn't know at that point that she'd moved there from the country reasonably recently. But yeah, I think that sort of um, putting up barriers to to sort of uh, avoid getting too invested if you think the other person isn't going to be. And also the way Janie looks at Leonie as well, um, as she sees someone who is um, perhaps a little bit more put together than her, she thinks, and uh, draws a lot of really positive conclusions from that without actually knowing her very well at this point, which yeah. again felt like such a, um, I mean, not that there aren't people of all ages who, who do this and not that we're not all vulnerable to that sort of thinking at times, but, but um, that sort of being sort of, wow impressed by someone a little bit older and a little bit more elegant than you are is felt to me like a very teenage feeling as well or a very adolescent feeling that sort of judging by appearances and finding yourself wanting in comparison totally it's like the yeah there's the insecurity there just yeah even at the start where she walks through the city and you can kind of she's like oh look at all these sophisticated people like she she feels very exposed I think and then it's only when I think there's there's a moment where where she's relieved when they actually get into the restaurant because she doesn't have to be surrounded by all these wonderful people who seem to, to be living their like very sophisticated lives and this is yeah something that she isn't quite ready for yet so yeah like that um that feeling of Janie feeling quite sort of exposed and and out of place um I I think yeah absolutely that that is something that resonates um as a sort of an adolescent or a young experience and I think it's it's not just that maybe most of us get a bit more confident as we get older it's also just that less experiences are new or less experiences Mm. feel new and so because of that because things are like generally there's something you can relate back to with something sort of the older um you you get you feel less like here I am I'm in this new situation and I don't fit in because I I don't know because it's, it's not as fresh a feeling um yeah so that definitely felt felt that way felt that way to me um mm. one of the things I really loved about this story as well is not just the sort of authenticity of that tentativeness and and the nuance of trying to sound out whether whether particularly in a situation where where you're maybe on your own and uh and trying to make friends with someone else and like sort of feel out whether they're on their own as well one of the things I really loved was how this was a story that really focused on the development of a friendship. And I feel like I can think of a lot of stories where the minutia or the nuance of, of someone meeting someone who ends up being a uh, like their partner in a romantic relationship are really common, right? There are so mm. many stories that focus on that. But stories that focus on a friendship 
with the same level of of detail and 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 interest are kind of kind of rare I think I mean I guess I think of like the Elena Ferrante series and things like that but um yeah it it, that really struck me um with this story as well is 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 how rare that sort of nuance is given to friendship in fiction for sure yeah that definitely um stood out to me as well just this it's this beautiful almost just scene of of a friendship and they really get it gets really close to um to it and like all the kind of you know awkward moments of of meeting someone and trying to get to know them yeah it felt it felt very much like yeah I liked that it was given the attention of a first date perhaps but without any kind of you know that there was there was nothing yeah romantic connotations or anything like that yeah just that their awkwardness they're like trying to talk at the same time they're and you know that thing of like you both want to say something but you're like oh ah sorry you go first like all of that stuff yeah it's true You, you get that for sure I think in first dates or like yeah in romantic novels that kind of thing but the the way that it drills down into that but with a friendship is is really refreshing particularly I suppose this shows kind of my glaring kind of hole in like reading of like I haven't read that much Australian fiction or from that kind of school of of, of writers that uh, Elizabeth Harrell was a part of but yeah it see it seems very u- unique or at least kind of revelatory to me that she would spend the the course of a short story just focusing on these two two women and their friendship I really really enjoyed that aspect so we've talked about a couple of things situationally in the story mm. that are that are quite different to today, things that not date the story but position it in a certain time and context. One of the things that the two girls bond over or a thing they kind of use to signal their availability as friends to each other mm. is is difference, um, how they both feel different from their peers at their workplace and like slight outsiders. Like how did you find how Harrow assigned difference to both of the girls? Yeah, I found it really interesting because uh, there are two points that the girls kind of offer as to them being different, um, and I think it's quite telling, I guess, in the in the way that Leonie does it, um, because I guess in the point where Janie says to her, "Oh, you're you're different to the other girls at work," um, her immediate kind of assumption is that she thinks it's because she's Lithuanian, but then Janie makes this really interesting ob- observation of like, "Well, no." I don't think it's I, that's not what I meant. I, there, there's something else, something more fundamental, I suppose. And yeah, I found that really interesting because Harrower, I suppose, offers these like two points through the girls of like Leonie's was born in Lithuania, but moved to Australia when she was very young. And then I think Janie's from the country, but she moved to Manly when she was like 13. So there's there's that kind of I guess difference like spatial difference, I suppose, if that may, or like difference of where they they came from that they could perhaps connect over. I think you're right in perhaps saying that it's a product of, of their youth as much as as their kind of background, that kind of idea of like if you don't fit into this these very kind of rigid groups or, or just the fact of you not um, being a little bit different is enough to mark to kind of gravitate towards other people who mark themselves as different, different as well. And then as you get older, you kind of realise, well, everyone's kind of, you know, Everyone is a rich tapestry of their own experiences, and and you know we're all not as we're all not as special flowers as we think we are. If that makes sense, absolutely. Um, sort of at first, I think I kind of went through a couple of reaction points with it. My first thought was, oh, um, like 
coming from the country in the past sort of uh, 10 years or um, having been uh, born in, mind you, like a a European country and Mm. growing up here from the age of one, they don't seem like such radical points of of difference to me today. But for context, I guess we're both in our early 30s um, being born in Australia and um, it always sort of surprises me when I read books that are set sort of 50 years ago or more in Australia, the points of difference that were highlighted at those times because they're things that wouldn't be highlighted necessarily as points of difference today or not as significant points of difference um, from your peers. So um, at first I was like, oh, this really sort of sets the story in a specific point in context because as much as we can sort of talk about whether or not those things were the things that set the girls apart, um, that they both jump to those reasons why their outsiders suggest they've been made pretty aware of it at some point in their past by their peers, Yeah. Um, even if it's not the case um, now. Um, but then I also, as, as you said, it, it made me think of a much more contemporary book about uh, adolescent girls in Sydney um, looking for Ella Brandy and mm-hmm. how Josie at the start of the book um, – feels that she and her friends are the strange people or the outsiders or the ones that don't fit in at their school. And one of the signs of her growing maturity by the end of the book is she's like, oh, we're not actually, like the people that I think fit in don't really fit in as well as they think. They think of themselves as as strange or outsiders as well. And maybe we fit in a lot more than we think we do. Um, So I think it is definitely, again, like one of those points of adolescence to um, A, sort of look around for reasons why, if you don't fit in, to to look for the most obvious reason and fix on that as a, this is the reason, this is the reason why I maybe don't fit in the way I want to, because it's kind of in a weird way comforting sometimes to have a really specific answer for those questions. Totally. Um, Rather than just being like, I don't know, I haven't had enough experience yet to work out why this is happening Yeah. or, or, or why I feel like an outsider. It is also interesting how the two girls do use that as part of their overture towards friendship, I guess, that kind mm. of um, suggestion that because here are the reasons why we are a tiny bit different from our peers and therefore we can both perhaps understand each other in a way that the other girls that, that was it a telephone exchange, might not be able to. So. Yeah, you raised a good point, I think, about the um, the way like them being made aware of their difference by their peers and that being important to them and kind of the the context that we we don't have that context for it, like, you know. So another thing that I got out of the short story club discussion was um, something that a, that someone brought up that I hadn't really thought about at all before, but was really interesting. Uh, she identified the insecurity uh, that Janie in particular felt um, as something that was uniquely Australian, something that she kind of had identified after moving away from Australia and then coming back, this kind of insecurity about like, yeah, almost like a cultural cringe type situation of like not being sure of yourself, uh, that kind of self-deprecating attitude um, that I think, you know, is pretty pervasive or, or she seemed to think was pretty pervasive in different versions of Australian culture. And I hadn't really thought about that before. But, yeah, I was I was curious. I think this kind of relates a little bit into an idea that Harold was trying to get at, which is this lack of focus on Australian literature of the time that she was writing, or Australian classics perhaps, that is also related to this kind of cultural cringe, this kind of, oh, I don't actually really like Australian fiction very much, that kind of movement towards European or American literature. Um, And yeah, I found that really interesting. It was a perspective I hadn't really thought about before. 
and yeah, I was wondering if you had any thoughts on that, Megan. Yeah, for context for those who haven't read a lot about Elizabeth Harrower, she um, was a popular novelist in the 70s and her work went completely out of print for I think about 30 to 40 years in Australia. An author who um, in hindsight has been described as the like the Australian F. Scott Fitzgerald. So I mean I guess it's, it's hard for us in, in hindsight not knowing all of the, the details today to know how much of that was to do with cultural cringe which I think would have played a factor. Uh, the Australian stories that we're kind of taught are quite different to this they tend to be rural they tend to be um they tend to be quite male not all of them and that could have played a part in what stays in publication uh, the other thing of course is that harrow stopped writing at about that time and certainly we know that that authors who publish continually throughout their lives tend to their earlier works stay in print as well or, or are more likely to and then of course again there's the the gender aspect as as well i think um i can certainly think of more male authors who were writing during that time than i can female authors in australia i think that also plays a role in in authors whose books stay in publication. But um, yeah, the cultural cringe aspect is definitely an, an interesting one there, especially when um, uh, her books have been republished by text. This is actually, this uh, story comes from a collection of short stories they published of hers in the last few years um, before her, her passing away, which happened quite recently this year. Her novels were republished and to, to great acclaim, their articles in The Guardian and The New Yorker really celebrating her, her writing. And like I suppose any time this happens, you think, oh, how could this writer have been essentially forgotten or overlooked, which just makes me think, of course, it happens all the time, right? Yeah. Like there must be so many authors of, of previous times that were brilliant in their own way and the quirks of the market or cultural cringe or gender aspects or like trends or all kinds of things just lead to these stories being forgotten. As to the girls' insecurity, being due to cultural cringe. I really didn't get that feeling from this one, but I do know it's something that um, Elizabeth Harrower explored in a couple of her other stories. It's something actually that one of the articles mentions is that her characters, if they mention something beautiful or something about Australia and they mention it in camera house and like, oh, how much better than blah, blah in Europe is this? It's usually a character that's quite like not a character that's held up as particularly admirable in the story. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so if anything, it, it's a cultural cringe that, that Harrower replicates in her own work. Her own work. That's really <laughs> so, interesting. Yeah, I, I'm i not sure how much of that came through in the story from um, Jane, through Janie, I suppose, either, but it did make me think a lot about it in a way that I hadn't before. And, yeah, I'm very keen to check out some more of Harrower's work having not even heard of her before this short story club. So I'm very interested with that in the back of my mind to, to see how she depicts what would have been in her time modern Australian life. Because I did ask in the short story club, um, as I'm sure you did as well, to, for people to mention other sort of Australian stories mm. that the story made them think of. And one of the members brought up uh, Ruth Park's uh, Harp in the South trilogy, I think because of the setting, it being set in a Sydney of, of the last century, which uh, which isn't something that I've read for a while. But So that's one that did come up. But more Great. generally, I guess we'd really appreciate you know, your recommendations of underappreciated, in your opinion, Australian stories. So totally. if you want to either shoot us an email at Yarra Libraries or if you'd like to uh, leave a comment on our SoundCloud, please go for it. I mean, I think that this really highlights that that every generation is going to have blind spots of, of books that are not trendy or popular at the time when they are 
doing the majority of their reading or learning whatever the canon is at the time. And I use canon in quotation marks, of course. <laughs> of course. Um, so, but if there's um, if there's anything that you think that we should have a, a look at, we'd really we'd really love to hear them. So. Yeah, definitely. I think Christina Stead came up in my discussion, which I hadn't heard of before, but I, uh, a few people had read her book, uh, The Man Who Loved Children. Great. Well, um, as we always do, we'll put the notes on uh, some of the books that came up in our short story club discussions as as related to this story in some way. We'll include them in our show note, um, as well as some notes on where you can find them in our collection. One thing just before we go on to other things we've been reading and enjoying recently, one of my favourite parts of the discussion actually was, um, was it meant that a lot of us brought up our own experiences of being out in the city without our parents for the first time, like out with friends and, and how everyone across, like we had a, a range of ages in our club and, every, and had their own own stories of that happening and their memories and and Tegan I was wondering what what your first memories of being (laughs) in the city on your own or with your friends was like yeah yeah I remember definitely I think probably maybe like 15 or 16 I remember and so I lived out in the far eastern suburbs so it was a very big deal to go to the station and catch a train all the way in that was very exciting so we would always catch the train to the city I just loved the the train part just as much as all the other parts, just sitting like in the booth with your friends and being like, we're here without adults. Oh my goodness. This is so exciting. Um, the freedom. I know, which is ridiculous. Cause now I take the, tra- well, I used to take the, the train like all, all the time and, and it doesn't bring you the same. It, it does not bring excitement. me the same joy. No, <laughs> public transit is not as magical as it once was for me. Um, but yeah. Just that wandering around, going into shops we did we just did a lot of like meandering sitting in parks just like being in a space and getting to to decide where you would go on your own with your friends was just so very very exciting so yeah it was it we didn't really do much if you think about it but but it was always an adventure and and I often like see see those groups of like teenagers or or you know young people like in the city when I'm like passing through to go to work or something and I'm like just like kind of meandering around I'm like oh I remember that I remember being that person <laughs> that's nice <laughs> how about you what was yours like pretty similar I suppose in that the city wasn't our usual sort of stomping ground as, as teenagers but when we were getting into our late teens 16 and onwards or 15 16 it was somewhere we would go as a group on occasion and I remember we would go to a couple of my friends had older siblings so of course they had a much better awareness of the cool things to do and the cool places to yep. go um that that naturally comes from apparently being older <laughs> yes you just get that um, as you grow up <laughs> yeah totally yeah exactly but so we would go and have to have hot chocolates at a mm. cafe that was a bar in the evenings and we felt so grown up that's so, so, cool. that's <laughs> so, so cool. yeah it was it was um it's kind of really lovely to to think back on on now that that was our marker mm. we were like later in the day they definitely serve alcohol here yeah you know, the cool people that hang out and <laughs> late at night and aren't in bed after watching Buffy um, oh, <laughs> so, yeah and I, I wonder how much like that sort of that specific place at least is a marker of like quite a maybe a Melbourne five like the CBD is a place that there's yep. like cool stuff going on and like small bars and all those yep. cliches right hole in so. the, yeah that cliche mm-hmm. hole in the wall that like everyone actually knows about but is still very secret like <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah. um 
So I guess it seems like a given we can kind of come to the end here and say this is a story that we've really enjoyed. But um, I'm really curious, Degan, what other things have you been enjoying recently? What sort of books or or movies or what what have you been using to keep yourself entertained in your non-work time where our options are a little more limited than usual? So I have been uh, flip-flopping between two books at the moment and they could probably not be any more different, which is very funny. One is a good palate cleanser for the other. So the first book I am uh, reading, I'm nearly finished with it. It's quite short. It's called The uh, World, The Word for World is Forest by Ursula K. Le Guin, who we've chatted about previously on this podcast. Yeah, plug, if you like Ursula Le Guin, please listen to Tegan's other recording for the Short Story Club on Ursula Le Guin. So that one's there in the SoundCloud playlist. So if you like listening to Tegan talk about books, go back and listen to that one. So yes, it is uh, It's very, very good. It is a short kind of science fiction novella. And if if you have read Le Guin before, um, you'll know that, you know, the, politi- the politics and the, and the situation that she lives in at the time features very prominently in her work. Uh, this one is I feel like in response to, or she was definitely thinking a lot about the Vietnam War at the time. So it is about a for- completely forested planet uh, that is, I guess, visited and attempted to be colonised by uh, Earth uh, or Terrans, I suppose, um, as they're called, and for the resources and the kind of conflict that occurs between the the humans and the kind of native population and there's these really interesting questions about like, so the native population, they're, they're like a pacifist race um, or species rather. And this kind of like question of like what happens when Terrans kind of introduce violence, uh, violence against, in I guess, as in retaliation, but also violence against each other uh, within, within species. It's very, very, very good, but it is heavy going, <laughs> which is uh, why I'm also reading uh, Red, White and Royal Blue by Casey McQuiston. <laughs> so uh, I am very much enjoying this book. I'm about halfway through and it is a romance novel uh, about uh, the, uh, I guess, the English, an English prince and the first son of the United States. So it's this great kind of them having to get along for international relation reasons. And then, you know, that obviously starts to evolve into uh, something else. It's a very good romance book yeah, and I'm very much enjoying it. It's very funny. And there's a lot about uh, American politics that I didn't know. I was lucky enough to get to see uh, the author talk as part of the Melbourne Writers Festival. She talked a lot about like reading a lot about uh, getting very interested in, in US politics and then putting that into her like excellent rom-com so it's 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 a really it's really I'm learning a lot and having also having a very nice time because it's just a very sweet kind of romance story so yeah I'm using that as a palate cleanser to my (laughs) hectic sci-fi Vietnam War book recommendations from Deegan yeah um, a romance palate cleanser for for your hectic books I think that sounds like a really sensible choice yeah yeah good job you wouldn't think it works but it does (laughs) um but yeah how have you been what have you been reading Megan Quite a few things recently, actually, which is really nice. I know um, those of you who were listening to the earlier Short Story Club episodes would have had Nell and I talking about how we were finding it slightly more difficult to concentrate on books uh, in our current situation. But 
um, doesn't seem to be too much of a problem now. Um, so I have been uh, reading, I mean, I also reread Red, White and Royal Blue recently for the Melbourne Writers Festival session, which was delightful. Um, so would also recommend Casey McQuiston's Red, White and Royal Blue. But currently uh, I have just finished recently Ronnie Scott's The Adversary, uh, several months after it was being discussed more widely. But that one is uh, set in Melbourne. Uh, it's a 20-year-old or about someone who the protagonist is in his early 20s. He lives in a share house in Brunswick and he doesn't really see the point in going out much at the moment over his summer um, and his housemate Dan is trying to convince him to come out more primarily because it makes him feel less guilty about hanging out with his boyfriend and not with his housemate. So it's set over a few weeks. Um, it involves uh, quite a bit of people meandering around Melbourne, which was just delightful in a way that I'm sure it wasn't intended at the time, being written in a different context. But right now, it was just really nice reading about uh, people out and about even a little bit or in Melbourne or alternatively choosing to stay in because they wanted to stay in rather than <laughs> because they had to, to stay yeah. in. <laughs> yeah, and it's also because it's set over summer as well. What with the, It's actually quite nice today, but when I was reading it over the last couple of weeks, it, we had a bit of a cold snap and it was really actually quite pleasant to read about someone about someone being a bit too warm or about someone being at a pool. Um, so so uh, apologies to Ronnie Scott because I'm probably not doing his writing credit, just talking about the fact it's like it's nice to read about people being out in like summer and stuff. But um, I, I would recommend it and I really enjoyed it and it felt like a nice palate cleanser in its own way for the situation that we're in. And in between that, because of course I do need um, to have something else on the go, Sarah J Mass's Throne of Glass series. So once again, I feel like I'm kind of the last one to the party here because this is actually three series ago for her. So it's not a recent release for her at all. But earlier this year, I read um, House of Earth and Blood, which I really enjoyed. It was um, it was some great uh, fun urban fantasy, very entertaining. And Throne of Glass is her YA fantasy series, which I'm also really enjoying. And mm. for those of you who are familiar, it is the story of a champion assassin who is also a beautiful teenage girl. Of course, um, of course. Of course as they are, yeah. <laughs> um, and so uh, after being accused of doing something dreadful, she has been thrown into a horrible prison prison mine type situation by the evil rulers of the land in which she lives until the point at which the king wants to hire like a champion assassin to work for him and his son puts forward um, this main character as his champion for the competition. So the first book is entirely around the competition to become the king's champion assassin and it's also complicated by the fact that the king is the one who is responsible for basically expanding out across the whole region, ransacking different countries and is responsible uh, for the death of our main character's parents. So a lot of conflicted feelings going on there. Um, and yeah, really entertaining writing, a lot of fun. That was myself, Megan, and my colleague, Tegan, discussing Elizabeth Harrower's short story, The City at Night. If you enjoyed this story, now's a great time to visit us and pick up another from Harrower, or any of the other titles mentioned in this discussion. You'll find them all in our show notes. Now, this episode might have been recorded during lockdown, but our libraries are happily open once more. You can visit any one of our branches right now, where we'll be happy to point you in the direction of a short story collection or anything else you're in the mood to read. As for the short story club, so far this year we've discussed Daphne du Maurier and Julie Coe, and we can't wait to discuss Ernest Hemingway, Gia Tolentino and Jennifer Down over the coming months. 
Head on over to the Arrow Libraries website now if you're keen to attend our April meeting. It's coming up very soon. Happy reading!